Welcome to Theatrically Speaking, almost a playwriting podcast. My name is Jonah Knight. Theatrically Speaking is a part of the Actual Story Podcasting Network. Learn more about this show's and others over at actualstorypodcasting.com. If you like the show, please follow it, subscribe, tell a friend, write a review. This week we are looking at the off-Broadway musical Love Quirks. Seth Bissenhirsch talks about the history of his musical, working with the team of a co-writer, dramaturg, and director, all of the rewriting, and then after 10 years of development, the show goes up and the pandemic brings it down. There's some fun profanity near the end, so watch out for that, and the links are in the show notes. Hi, uh, I'm Seth Biesenhirsch. I'm an off-Broadway award-winning composer, lyricist, and performer. I'm reading this directly from my bio. It sounds pretentious to say out loud. Uh, My musical Love Quirks was off-Broadway for two weeks in 2020 uh, before we had to shut down Love Quirks. And I've also written the score to The Diamond as Big as the Ritz, Stanley's Party, which was at Manhattan's Children's Theater in 2010, uh, More to Love, The Spickner Spin, The Meaningless Sex, the last two were in the Fringe Festival eons ago, back when I was younger. I have 10 uh, cabaret song cycles of my work, uh, and I have a sitcom and a web series, Everyday Little Seth, and uh, I've done 620, this is 640, this is an old bio, 640 musical theater talent showcases at a renowned cabaret venue, Don't Tell Mama. Uh, 44 of those actually were virtual. And I've written three books, uh, which are on Amazon. And the last one, Millennials Are Ruining the World, I turned into a podcast. Uh, but I made the exclamation point at question mark because millennials have no sense of humor. Uh, and it's uh, I, the new subtitle is an exennial perspective, bridging the gap between generations X and Y. I'm not woke, but I'm awake. And I think that's plenty uh, of bio information for people who are like, who is this person? Thank you, first of all, for for coming on and talking about you and your your musical Love Quirks. What I'd really like to talk about, uh, because you're the first first writer on this show that we've had that has been here to talk specifically about musicals, and uh, you have a lot of music in your background. And I've always had this suspicion because I've never been on the developmental team or the creative team for a musical. And I, I've always assumed that our processes have a lot of similarities, but that there are probably key areas where they are different. Uh, writing musical is really very, very, very hard to do well. A lot of people can write mediocre musicals and there are a lot of those, but to write one that is really working and gels as a piece uh, is, is a lot of work, and especially uh, because you're working with other people for the most part. There is no, uh, except for like Meredith Wilson, uh, and he only wrote one good musical. The Music Man is is way better than Molly Brown and the Here's Love uh, one he wrote. It, to write all three of everything yourself is, I, it's, I don't think it's it's possible to to do that. So you need to have the collaborators And in terms of writing a musical, uh, there's two ways to really go about it. The better way is to start with the book and develop a story that way. Uh, The worst way is the jukebox way. And if we're going to talk about love quirks, that actually was the the jukebox way, uh, for better or worse. Uh, So yeah, so love quirks was based on, uh, it started as a song cycle because in 2010, song cycles were very popular. uh, And I was like, song cycle? 
that's like my cabaret act without any of the talking. Uh, I've been doing these for years at that point. So I was like, well, I've been doing this. I can easily put together a song cycle without any talking. Uh, it's just songs. So I uh, had noticed, I think I've written maybe five or six of my cabaret acts by that point. I had noticed when I would do, uh, I, I was doing Broadway benefit concerts with Broadway stars. I did um, Broadway Meows and Broadway Can. Broadway Meows was for the Humane Society of New York and Broadway Can was for uh, City Harvest. And uh, I that was a win-win situation where I said to my friend who's an agent, I was like, I need to get Broadway stars to sing my songs to put them on this new thing called YouTube. Uh, I'm just aging myself here. This was 2009. And she was like, do a benefit. And if the money goes to charity, everyone will work for free and you can tape them and put it on YouTube. And that's, that's a great idea. That's how I have Broadway star Kate Rockwell singing, hey, on my YouTube, it's because of that. And so I noticed I always get give people options. And a lot of times people would want to sing these quirky love songs that I had. And I remember walking down Broadway and just talking to my friend Viva on the phone. And I was like, yeah, everyone always wants to do my quirky love songs. And all of a sudden I was like, I, I that song cycle idea came to me. It was like, I could just put together a song cycle of my quirky love songs and it would be about the quirks of love. And then I was like, it's called Love Quirks. And so I was like, great, this is perfect. So I I developed the, sh the song cycle for four singers, but I was like, you could do this with 20. And I did a big concert of it. I wrote, I think one of the, the duet, haven't you noticed, I wrote for this song cycle because I envisioned it as the gay guy and his, uh, the, PC term is fruit fly. The old term is bag hag. Uh, fruit fly is what I say now because you have to be PC all the time. Uh, and then I thought, you know, you have one straight couple and then this uh, it's kind of a will and grace thing that I think a lot of people have had. A lot of musical theater women, I believe, relate to that role of who became Lily. But so I had just kind of like the outline of who these characters would be. And I did a concert of 20 people because... That's how you get people to come to your show. If you have a cast of 20 and they each bring one, it's better than having a cast of four and they each bring two or three. Uh, that's just what I've learned. You know, I've done cabarets since 2002. Uh, so anyway, I did the concert and my friend Brian Childers was in it and he was singing a song that actually didn't make it past that version of, of it. And he was like, we should do this as a four-person show. And we did it as a four-person uh, song cycle at this art gallery in Soho that this random guy wrote me and said, we're offering our space for free. We'll just split half of the ticket price with you. And I was like, yeah, I want to do a show. That sounds great. So we did the four-person version and people were just like, I, they just wanted to know who these characters were. And it just so happens that Brian's brother, Mark Childers, is uh, as a playwright and a screenwriter. He's an award-winning screenwriter as well. And Brian was like, my brother Mark could come in. And we actually, Mark, I had Mark on my podcast last season and we do a really great episode on this. And I still am in awe that he took the 20 songs and he, 
by that point, it was already more like 18. We had already cut two, but he took it and the characters just kind of wrote themselves. And he somehow, he said he had a big like whiteboard. Uh, he fit all the songs in like, you know, Mamma Mia style. He, he somehow created this story based on the songs, which is, as I said, the absolute wrong way to do it. I, I don't recommend going that way. And all my other musicals were written story first. Then it was a very long journey of, uh, of rewriting. And yeah, so let's, let's back up a little bit. Uh, yes. If you're at the, like, the beginning phases of a musical, you could start in, in maybe a more story-centric way and say, oh, I want this to be my theme and maybe this is my location or whatever. You start, like if you're writing a non-musical. But what you did, this uh, jukebox style, where you have music and you want to sort of weave a narrative around existing songs, it sounds like maybe a benefit of that is what happened to you, where it's like, oh, well, we can bring attention to this project before it's really uh, a final conception of the project by getting the music out there. And then maybe there's more attention and there's sort of like a guidance or a path having already had the music. Andrew Lloyd Webber did that with uh, Jesus Christ Superstar. So uh, there is a, that is true. There's a little bit, the songs, uh, especially Hey, had already been out there for years. It's a very popular song. So there is something to be said in that. But the good news is, since I wrote the songs and it's not, you know, an ABBA or a Jersey Boys, we, through the next 10 years of development, we cut probably, I think we cut at least 30% of the original songs. And I was able to write songs that actually did work with the story and the character that was created. And as we go through the years, that I would just constantly put in a new song. And also lyrics would would change. I mean, we, especially the changing times, uh, there was a lyric in I'd Rather Take a Nap uh, that was kind of fat shaming, uh, which was very funny in 2005, but doesn't fly in, in 2020, or now it's 2021. So the, the, but we listened to the actors too, because Maggie, who plays the role said, I, I don't think, you know, Willie would, would say this. And then I was like, okay. And then I just rewrote it. So it was, it was a lot of rewriting, which you can't do when you're doing Jagged Little Pill with Alanis Morissette songs. You can't really rewrite it, but you know, one song, Darling, I Love You became Darling, I Loved You in the past tense, you know, you know, some songs changed not at all. And some have been completely rewritten lyrically. And then, as I said, through the through the timeline, you know, we did the reading in 2011, we did a reading in 2014, we did a three-week run in 2014, then we learned a lot about the show, and I put in, like, four new songs for 2015 reading, we did a reading then finally in 2019, and then even going off-Broadway, uh, a week before we started rehearsal, Mark made me write a new song, which I was not happy about, because I was so busy producing it, I was like, why didn't you ask me for this, you know, three weeks ago when I had time, but I did, and I wrote the new song, and that one is on my YouTube page. We actually just premiered it live. Uh, we did a huge concert at Don't Tell Mama in June with Broadway stars to be like, we're back, baby. And uh, I put up, I think, eight clips of that on my YouTube page, including Waking, which is the newest song from Love Quirks. And that song just really gives us this backstory about Stephanie that wasn't there before, uh, because with the last four-year break we took from the project, we decided to age the characters up 
to mid thirties instead of late twenties. And that just gave the whole show so much more gravitas. Cause as you know, uh, you're a much more complicated person in your thirties than your twenties, much more interesting. I'm sure you remember your twenties. I do. I, I like to think that I was always interesting, but I might be yes. wrong about that. <laughs> well, it's what you want, you know, in your twenties, you're looking to hook up and in your thirties, you're looking to settle down. Yeah. So it's just a whole different, and we made it so the lead actress and the lead character in the show now was going through a divorce and the guy has a broken engagement because his fiance cheated on him with his best friend. And that just gives them way more emotional depth and pain to play with, which is on stage way more interesting than I just want to hook up and get laid. Right, right. So in your process with Mark, you've written the songs He's interested in shaping them into uh, maybe a more traditional narrative. So you, you hand the songs over, you're getting ready to go up, and he says, wait, we need a new song. Do you know if he had a process for writing the book that sort of included these ideas of something like The Hero's Journey or Save the Cat, where it's like, you know, we need the I want song here. And he was like looking for songs that filled sort of a traditional musical structure or do you oh, know Love Quirks yeah. is not a traditional musical structure <laughs> at all. I think the I Want song is the finale, actually, because the finale is in love, where they all say they want to be in love and they're ready to be in love. But it takes the whole journey of the show for mm. them to get there. But we did, um, we did hire one of my friends as a dramaturg, uh, and she helped Mark a lot. And also Brian you know, the director co-conceived it. So he, we consider us all on the, on the team. Like Mark will say something and then I will do something. And then Brian is the one who kind of fixes it. Like we replaced one of the best songs in the song cycle. Can you believe is the big 11 o'clock number. And it, it not, it totally tore the house down. However, uh, Mark was like, it just doesn't work for the new trajectory of Lily's character. She's just too angry in this song. And I had written that song originally as an angry belting song because I was like, what am I missing that people are singing? And I was like, I don't have an angry belting song. That's what people want to sing. We ended up, he was like, no, I don't want this song anymore. I want you to answer the question, why is Lily still have feelings for Ryan even though he's gay and they've been friends for 20 years? Why is she still holding on in this will and grace codependent relationship? And I was like, well, that's easy because I have a friend in that situation. And I just interviewed her and then I set it to music. I won't say which friend. Uh, and so I wrote this song, The Circle, and I thought it was replacing the nap song. So I wrote this in a begin and he was like, no, this replaces Can You Believe? And I was like, no, I can't believe that. And then Brian had to come in and be like, here's what we do because without the 11 o'clock number, I was like, we can't, you know, we can't not have an 11 o'clock number. This is horrible. And Brian was like, he finally was like, I love this new song in Circle. Why don't we have a reprise of it for the 11 o'clock number? And it, it's perfect because the whole song is about this codependent circle. And then in the reprise, I say that, you know, I'm straightening out the circle to be a straight line straight away. And I use the word straight a lot because to emphasize she's going to find someone straight, not gay. Uh, and then she gets her big belty number and there's been movement out of the circle. And then Brian, Brian fixes all the problems. Like there was a duet in the middle of the show. And during the 2014 run, he, 
he whispers in my ear, this should be a quartet. We should bring the girls back in at the end of this song. And then going into 2015 with the dramaturg, she was like, you don't have to have the title song be the opening number. So the, I had written Love Quirks as an opening number for the song cycle, but it was really stymieing the show because it was very hard to fit expository details into a catchy opening number. It just was like, I kept trying to fit it in and I kept trying to rewrite. I think that song had the most lyric revisions because of that. And then all of a sudden the dramaturg was like, you can start with an opening number that says what you want to say. And we ended up moving Love Quirks into the scene in the middle. There was a drinking scene. Originally a song I wrote for that was called That's What He Said. I was told that that became dated I still think it isn't because everyone says that's what he said, but it was a cute little round, which is on the concept caster recording. Then we ended up putting in It's Not You, It's Me, which we had moved from the original scene. And that kind of worked as a group number, but not really. And then once Love Quirks was in there as a group number, I was able actually to make it fun and quirky again, instead of full of all this details about who these characters were. And I was able to bring back some of the lyrics and especially with the off-Broadway cast. We have never seen that song gel so well. The four of them have such chemistry together. Uh, I'll start crying when I think about it, but they're amazing. And so we wrote this new uh, opening called It Never Works. And Mark was like, this is the point. It never works. This is where they're at the beginning. And at the end, in the two-thirds part, they're at this, you can't choose who you love. And the end of that song is, it's time to move on. And so at the two third point, they all make a decision to move on from their past and move on from, you know, the codependent Lily Ryan relationship and move on from the divorce and the engagement. They all have that moment together. And then at the end, uh, so then they basically, Love Quirks is about, I would say halfway through. So they have these group numbers. And then Brian to me in 2019, when we were doing It Never Works, it was very much, they each have a verse and they're talking about where they are. He says to me, the, what this song is missing is a group section. He said that they're all, it's just like four different solos. And he was like, this to be an opening number, you need a group section. And, and so I added the group section and I added a bit of a round, which is great because I lost That's What He Said, which was around, and I love that song, and it will never be in the show ever again, uh, because apparently people don't say that anymore, even though I say it every single day. Uh, and so, yeah, it was Brian. So like, Mark gives us the idea that what will work dramatically, and for the new song as well, Waking, Mark gave me a monologue, and I set the monologue exactly, and then Brian was like, no, this doesn't work because of X, Y, Z. Brian came in, and he was like, no, these first two verses need to be funny. And then it goes into this. Basically, Brian comes in and kind of massages everything. Uh, and without him, there is no love quirks because, I mean, he's the one who brought Mark in. It's crazy. It's like a, a synergy of the three of us. Like uh, when Mark and I try to write without Brian, something is just missing. Brian just kind of, as the director and the co-conceiver, he's able to kind of translate Mark for me and translate me for Mark because we're very different in terms of how we think and do things. Yeah, I'm fascinated by this idea of um, having someone in the core creative team who's not actively putting words on the page or music on the 
on the staff, you know, like this. Uh, and I guess my, my questions about that are, have you found that valuable with other musicals? And do you think that folks that are not writing musicals should consider having people part of the creative team for generating the script if they aren't actually doing writing writing? Oh, I think it is incredibly important to have a good dramaturg or director or both. I mean, we we had a dramaturg come in uh, and we, but that was essential because Mark had never really, uh, well, he wrote a Danny and Sylvia musical, but he had never really written a musical. So having someone who was thinking in terms of structure, uh, she came in and really helped the, I would say most of the scenes in the show have not changed so much. It's just the first one and the last one and the second one. Those are the ones I think have changed the most. Um, there's some stuff in the middle, like we cut a song that wasn't going to work with the characters and the, and the context anymore. And he was like, write a new duet for these characters uh, where she's trying to get him to just get out of his shell, just get over it. And I made it a tango, which is beautiful. There's a dance break in the middle on the CD. There's a cello. Uh, and that that was very helpful. And putting waking in the middle was also very helpful. But I think that the beginning and the end are the hardest parts to get right in a musical. It's You have so much you need to explain about the characters in that first five minutes I think that's the part that got rewritten the most. Like there are scenes in the middle that have had mean you punch up the jokes. Obviously you get rid of jokes that don't land anymore uh, or that are dated. There was a lot of Buffy jokes that we ended up losing because Buffy is apparently not as popular as she used to be. But in general, I think uh, you need someone as, as a playwright, you need a director, you need it because you can't get out of your own head. You know, I can't get out of my own head. Brian, I remember the night before the first uh, rehearsal, I was on the toilet because my uh, my fiance, well, my wife, but she was my fiance at the time, or maybe she was just my girlfriend. I think she was still my girlfriend at the time. Uh, but she was sleeping and I was like in the bathroom talking to Brian at 1 a.m. And he was like, I have these issues with the following songs. And like, we had a great song, Let's Just Be Friends, which came into the show in 2014. And uh, then for 2015, we tried a duet called He Said, She Said, which was a waltz to kind of uh, go with the tango. And that song didn't work at all. And how he was setting up their relationship didn't work at all. And so I was, I kept lobbying for Let's Just Be Friends because Otherwise, Chris doesn't have a solo, and I think it's a great song, but I had written it kind of like a chauvinist pig. If you go to the YouTube version for the when it was originally written, he's like, let's just be friends, and then at the end, he's like, for now, wink, wink. Uh, but in the new version, Chris had just had this broken engagement, and uh, where his fiance cheated on him, and he wasn't, it was a total different intention. He's no longer interested in Stephanie that way. It's more of a no, really, can we just be friends because I just had my heart broken. And even though you think you knew me from college, which we added, Mark added that they all knew each other. And that made it easier because they don't have to uh, spend time meeting each other. There's this base knowledge of already knowing each other. I ended up rewriting most of the lyrics the day before rehearsal started 
uh, for that one. Brian really comes in with those extra set of eyes because Mark, Mark is not, uh, he's not a music person. He's not a song person. He, he doesn't have much in a way of uh, a way to talk about that sort of thing besides from a, a dramatist way. Brian is, you know, a singer and a performer and musician. So he will be like, you misemphasize the syllable, which some of the older songs had, you know, I it took it takes a very long time to learn not to misstress what the syllable, uh, and there's a lot of pop music where they do it, and I it makes my ears cringe now that I've spent a lot. But you know, I think every project is good to have a director. I think Brian is is so attached to the show that he has been invaluable. As we get towards the the end of our time, having developed your your work with a dramaturg or director, does that make it a different process when it's time to sort of shop it for production? If you've attached a director or someone like that already, does, does it, is it just a different calculation for potential producers? I'll tell you, we haven't talked about that part of this at all. Uh, I have learned the lesson, if you want your show to be produced, you need to produce it yourself. I find it absolutely impossible, especially with a musical, to get anybody else interested in your own work. I know a lot of producers, and a lot of them, uh, well, some of them are, are creative producers, so they will only produce their own project. I guess that I would be, be counting as a creative producer who will only produce some project. And then you have other people uh, who they will produce shows but a lot of times they want to have the idea. They want to come in on the ground floor. Uh, often, especially uh, big time producers, they're in it for the, the risk and reward of money. And on a small scale off Broadway, a Love Quirks is not going to make you the kind of money that Wicked or Phantom are going to make you. It's just not possible. So a lot of producers I know in the industry, they look for like, or they did. I mean, of course, everything is now changed post-pandemic. Right, right. But like I had one friend who he would put in money, but it was for like the Tom Hanks play, you know? But he's like, this is a surefire hit. I'm going to make a lot of money on it. So to find people who are looking at it, not from a money perspective, but also fall in love with your show, uh, that's that's hard. That's very hard. So I, I learned the lesson very early on, I've always produced all my cabarets. Uh, I got lucky with Manhattan Children's Theater because they actually commissioned me to write that show, but then they didn't pay the publishers the money they owed, and I can't get the rights to it because of that. So that's the other trade-off. That's another, I, after that experience, that's why I stick to public domain. But uh, I think in general, unless a Broadway producer is commissioning you, it's incredibly hard to get your show up if you're not producing it yourself. And at that point, you're basically just going through your role decks and looking at the people you went to high school and college with and who has jobs where they're, you know, they, they can invest some money without blinking. And those are the people you basically have to convince to believe in you. And at that point, as Ken Davenport would say, they're investing in you, not the show. It's very exhausting. Asking for money is is very painful. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. 
And you, you just have to make sure the show is ready. And it took us 10 years when we had a reading and everyone stood up after it. And all of a sudden people were like, yes, please, I'm interested. That's when I knew the show was ready creatively. Like you can ask for money to your brew in the face, but if you haven't gotten to the show to the point where you've spent 10 years working on it and perfecting every line and every lyric, uh, it's just not ready. You can't rush writing a musical. You just can't. And then the more people you have involved, uh, that helps you with producers and investors. And the it becomes a family, you know, the cast, the musical director, uh, the general manager. It all becomes a group that theater is, as I think as Sondheim would say, as he was an only child, he got into theater because it, it gave him friends. It gave him purpose. It gave him a reason to see people. And I think that's different if you're writing a novel, if you're writing a play. You're, that's very solitary work. And, uh, you know, you, you have your editor, you still have your director. But with a musical, there's a lot of people involved. And I think that's probably one of the reasons we love it so much. You know, the, the cast, uh, some of the lines in the show are directly from the cast over the years. Uh, some of the ad-libs they made made it in the show. If a cast member is saying, this melody doesn't work for me, uh, I always listen. If they're saying, I don't like this lyric, I always change it. You know, they they need to feel like they're part of the creative process of, as well. And I think with Brian and Mark, we are always looking for the cast for input. I Mark would have phone conversations with all the cast over the years about these characters and what is feeling stereotypical and what isn't sitting right with you. And we adjust. And I think that's very important and it's very hard, uh, especially I, I can't stand changing things, but I have learned over the, the years doing this process is the process is very important, listening to everyone involved. You know, if the, when my mom said to me that the word cock, she didn't like the word cock, I brought it up with uh, the team and we were all like, well, we don't have a problem with cock, especially them because they're gay. But um, But I was like, we, you know, I'm getting this from my aunt. I'm getting this from my mom. And it was a throwaway internal rhyme. So I changed it to crock. I said, let's just do that. And they were saying, you know, we had a little bit too much fucking shit. And I said, look, I, I don't want to cut out all the fucking shit from the show but I want it all to be justified. And if you can find a funnier way of saying something without a fucking shit, you know, let's do it. And we reduced that by 50% to the point where when my mom and aunt came off Broadway, they loved the show and they no longer felt it was too vulgar. Like we didn't get rid of every fucking shit, uh, but we did, we, we made sure they were all justified. And I think so that way, listening to the audience there, I think that's why our show hits all the demographic. That's how we earn those standing ovations right. uh, every night for for our eight performances before we were shut down due to a global pandemic. Yeah. Well, hopefully you'll get that full run sooner than later. Well, I'll I'll tell you, it's uh, it's been a process. Talk about process. It's like just when we thought we were gonna. Uh, open reopen in the fall. This Delta variant came, and uh, 
You know, it, it, it is what it is. We'll see how Broadway does, but Broadway has a lot more of a cushion uh, and a sustainability to weather a few months of uh, tepid ticket sales and us doing our small four show a week. We don't have that same luxury. So I, I think we we did have a meeting. We are, we are going to wait until things are more normal because... I don't. I, I don't think people are really going to be ready to see theater this fall. And now they're they're saying you have to show the Vax card and you have to stay maxed the whole time. And the ticket prices are are still pretty steep. So I, I think there's just a lot of barriers. And I don't know how you sustain a run. I'm going to go to Broadway and I'm going to show my Vax card and I'm going to put on a mask. But to run a show, uh, I think commercially you need people who aren't diehard fans to say, yes, I'd love to see a show this weekend, but not go, oh, I don't want to have to go through all this. I think we're looking at 2022 at this point, but you know, we can't, we can't reopen and then close again. That'll close us permanently. So we, we have to look at it. And as much as I'm bored out of my mind and don't want to have to, you know, I've read 85 books over the last year and a half. Uh, I'm just going to keep reading books uh, because when we reopen, we, we're going to reopen with a huge marketing blitz and we're going to release the cast recording the day the tickets go on sale. And I think there will be a lot of people ready for a really fun, feel-good show about love and about quirks. Uh, we think there's a huge market for it and we are very excited to be back. And I think we're going to have a good, healthy run. Uh, we just have to get over this this one more wave uh, this one more way, Knockwood. Well, if people want to stay up to date on Love Quirks and they want to see more about what you're up to, where would you ask people to? Uh, oh, yeah, to you check have in? to use social media. <laughs> uh, to follow the show Love Quirks, I would just follow Love Quirks. It's at Love Quirks, L O V E Q U I R K, and uh, S. <laughs> I forgot the X. I forgot that L-O-V-E-Q-U-I-R-K-S. I can spell Love Quirks. Um, there are, Love Quirks is on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can go to lovequirks.com. Uh, if you go to my YouTube page, there's a lot of songs from it. Uh, so you can follow me at sethbh.com. That's sethbh.com. Boop! That's the little jingle for my website. Uh, B as in boy, H as in horse, sethbh.com. And also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, I'm at sethbh.com. And I spelled the D-O-T out, not as a dot. So it's S-E-T-H-B-H-D-O-T-C-O-M, sethbh.com. And uh, if you go to the website, you can see links to everything I do, uh, the books and the podcasts. And uh, the 300 songs I have up there, I have YouTube pages, one for comedy, one for music, go watch the sitcom pilot. Uh, And then I have puzzles. I had a puzzle published in the Los Angeles Times. I also have my travel blog that you can read about all my trips. Well, fantastic. Thank you again for coming on. I've had a great time talking to you today. Well, it's my pleasure. I'm sorry. I knew it would be more than 20 minutes. Uh, If I get going, I don't shut up. But I'm very impressed you got this whole thing under an hour. So kudos. (laughs) Our theme song is Candy, licensed from the band Ketza. That's ketzamusic.com. Additional information can be found in our show notes and over at actualstorypodcasting.com. Thank you again, and we'll see you next week.